Okay, why don't you open your Bibles with me? Why don't you look with me in Acts chapter 10, verse 38? Acts 10, verse 38. I love this verse, not by heart. God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many know that verse? God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about what? Doing good. He went about? Doing good. He went about doing good. He went. He went. We need to understand that the same Holy Ghost that came on Jesus has come on us. When you got saved, you received the Spirit of God into your heart. When the Holy Ghost came on you and baptism in the Spirit, you began to speak in another language and tongues. When you, you were introduced to the realm of the Holy Ghost, you were introduced to the realm of the Spirit. And that is always for a purpose. When God anoints you, it is always to get something done. It is always to accomplish something that has eternal value. One of the things I couldn't help but feel tremendously challenged as I was talking to young people in the, in the boat last night, one of the things that really began to just burn within me as I talk with them is the great sense of lostness. In fact, one of, the, one of the people I was talking to, as I talked to them about purpose and their lack of purpose in life and, and not even knowing what they wanted and, and not being able to actually find any direction, I said to the person, I said, you're lost, aren't you? And, and she said, I'm lost. Just like that. She's actually lost because there, there are, I said, you've never taken the time to discover your uniqueness, what God put in your heart, and have the courage to bring it out in the open and begin to follow the dreams God put within you. See, every one of us, we're going to look at a verse in a moment, every one of us, God has designed us to accomplish something with eternal value in it. And I just can't be satisfied just accumulating things. Things come and things go. They get old, they broke, break, you've got to get something new. Things never have lost, but people have eternal value. As I looked into the eyes of some of the ones we spoke to last night, you could see the lostness and the emptiness and the need for them to have someone talk to them. Not to ram Jesus down their throat, but to speak to the depths of the heart of a fatherless generation and to put in them, you are worth something. Don't waste your life. Don't just fritter your life away doing nothing or following the crowd. I said to them, listen, I said, we're going to go on a boat in a moment. And I said, can you imagine getting on that boat and then we disable the rudder and just allow it to drift and hope we're going to get somewhere? I tell you where we'll get, we'll get on the rocks. I said, but your life... Is exactly like that. You have no driving sense of purpose, no driving sense of something that would last for eternity. You're just like a boat without a rudder. You know what's going to happen? The wind and the tide will take you where it's going, but you won't go where you should go. Every one of us, God has created us for something unique. So when we look at Jesus, who's the model of the, we, the pattern we follow, he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and empowering to accomplish a mission he was sent on. Now listen, we're here in the earth today. This is our day. This is your day. And you're called to do something. You're called to make your life count every day. There must be someone each day that you've got the possibility of impacting them for good. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost. He went around doing good. Doing good, doing good, doing good. That means, and I'm going to explain to you exactly what it means in just a moment. I'm going to share with you a verse that makes it very clear that you're designed for doing good. You're designed for doing good. 
Look, have a look in with me in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. We can never be satisfied just filling in time. We can never be satisfied just retiring to pay bowls. I can't imagine anything worse than that. We can never be satisfied. Bill, I can't imagine Bill retiring and, and playing bowls. And I can't just imagine that at all. You know, imagine doing that. And you say, at the end of your life, well, what did you do? Well, you can't believe how many times I bowled a ball down a piece of lawn, you know. So, well, what eternal significance is that? All right, for recreation. But what, what about your life? What have you done with your life? What have you done with your life? See, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are as workmanship created in Jesus Christ, and the good works which God before ordained, we should walk in them. I just love these few verses here. Notice the progression. You're saved. How many people here today know you're saved? Beyond any doubt, beyond any doubt whatsoever, Jesus Christ touched you. He broke the power of sin. He put his spirit into you. He redeemed you. You're saved. Oh, glory. You've got to get excited about that. If you're not excited, think of the alternative. Suddenly there you are, and the curtain comes down on your life, and you step into eternity, and it's hot out there. Very lonely. People don't go to hell with their friends. They go to their own place and they don't get to talk to their friends at all. No, but what a tragedy to waste a life. What a tragedy. So the Bible says we are saved. Notice this. We don't have to do anything except believe to become saved. Not by works. Nothing you can do is going to make Jesus more impressed with you or get you more saved. We're saved totally and completely by coming to him and relying on him, by leaning on him. A lot of people have tried to save themselves. We try to save ourselves from pain. We go through difficult experiences. We go through tragedies and we kind of control the pain. We build walls around our heart. We build walls around our life that stop us connecting and relating. But you know something? God wants us to let go of those things. He wants to save you. Oh, he wants to save you. They call him Jesus because his name means he will save. He will save. Are you in trouble? He can save you. He can save you. He can save you. He can save you. He wants you to reach out to him and let him save you. You're going through grief and trouble? Reach out and let him save you. Let him save you. Don't try and save yourself. Reach out to the one who saves. I have counseled people literally by their thousands over the issues of problems they've gone through. One thing they all have in trouble is not just the fact that there was a pain and a problem. It's just they all did what they could to save themselves. And it's an amazing thing. I was just this week led someone to the point and I said, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to stop trying to save yourself and you're going to have to submit that Jesus is the Savior. When you do that, you can move past the pain and the sorrows. You can move on to a different future. Say, so Jesus is the Savior. He saves us utterly. But the Bible tells us also we are his workmanship. It is uh, something that God has crafted. You are God's craftsmanship. You are designed by him uniquely for something. Isn't that great? Look to someone next to you. Tell me if they're different to you. Come on, look at someone next to you. Do they look different? Do they? You know they're different to you, aren't they? You know, when God made you, you know what he said? He said, I'll never, make it, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. Never do that again. I'll never do that again. Now, it's not because he made a mistake. It's because he didn't want to make someone the same as you. He wanted to make someone different. God always makes people who are different. You're different. So you need to celebrate being different. I am different. So I don't have to be like the crowd. I can be different. I can be unique. 
See, things are going to learn and grow in character. Whereas workmanship are uh, individually made. See, but it's a progressive work. So God's still forming you. God is still working on your life. He's still working to change you. So don't wait till you've got your act together. As you fulfill, as you begin to embrace what God's called you to do on that journey, that's how God changes you. How many know when you started serving the Lord and you started to walk with God, you become aware of things you were never aware of before? Dear God, did you become aware of them? Man, you never knew there was so much going on inside you, did you? You know, why was, how, how come you suddenly saw that? Because the Holy Spirit is wanting to make you. He's wanting to make you something. A man of God, a woman of God, a person who can have impact. So never, never say no to the Holy Ghost. Never stop letting God change you. Every year, as we come to the end of this year, what is it that God is wanting to build into your life next year? What area is he wanting you to grow and to change? Write it down. Start to think through how you can work with the Holy Ghost. What kind of things have you accepted as compromise? He said, next year, no compromise. Next year, I'm changing. Next year, I'm coming to another level. Why would you settle? I couldn't help but notice, uh, without going to the politics of it all over one of the issues locally in Hastings here, how many people cling to the past as though there's security in the past? There's no security in the past Security's found in walking fully in what God wants us to do. And that'll always mean change. The Bible says without any changes, they don't have a fear of God. So every time I make a commitment to change, to grow, to develop, I put myself in a place of having to lean on the Lord and learn how to draw from Him for my need. And He wants me to stay like that. He wants you to stay like that. Now, here's the verse I want to get to here. Notice he says, Where is workmanship? We're created in Jesus Christ and the good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Now, this is the bit. You were saved not to go to heaven. You were saved to accomplish something on the earth. And that's something you're called to accomplish on the earth is the purpose of God for your life. And you notice he said, you are called, you're created. You were literally designed to accomplish something for God. Now, if we could just get that in our heart, you're designed. Your passions were designed by God. Your experiences God has allowed to be built into your life. Your, your, the, the difficulties you face are all part of God preparing you to accomplish something. Have you been through a trouble? Did you find God? You are uniquely qualified to help someone else in that trouble. Have you gone through some kind of painful situation? Well, figure out how I can meet God in it so you've got an answer for someone else. And so every one of us are uniquely created. Why? Because God has good works that we would walk in them. Now listen to this. That word walk refers to a lifestyle, a journey. God has a journey in life for you with things for you to accomplish. And they're unique to you. They're also unique to us corporately as we become part of a local body. There are things we do together. But everyone, when you wake up each day, has something God wants you to accomplish. How can you ever find it unless you talk with the master, unless you get his direction, unless you listen to him, unless you embrace the purpose God called you for? Never live a low-level life. Never live the life of the average. You're not called to be average. You're called to be better than average. You're called to make a difference with your life. Gifts and callings don't change, Nick. They never change. God's called you. Never let go because of something you're experiencing of the fact God called you. You know, your greatest hour could be just ahead of you. So the Bible says we're called under good works. I want to just define for you just what kinds of things, because that's what the anointing is for. Called under good works. Think about this. That word good means listen. So not just doing anything. See, a lot of people do stuff 
that actually eternally has got no value whatsoever. The Bible talks about dead works. Dead works are works which have no life and vitality in them. They're things done because it's the religious thing to do, the right thing to do. They're things which are done and your heart isn't in it. There are things which are done and there's resentment behind it because you never wanted to do it in the first place. That's a dead work. It's maybe it's a thing done because you feel guilty and you have to do it. I had to make up with God or someone else. That's a dead work. See? Or, or maybe it's a work and uh, you feel like if I do this, then I'll get something out of this. That's a dead work. So all of those kind of things. The Bible says we need to repent of dead works. God wants us to be passionately engaged in generous works. Now look, here's the definition of, 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 a, good, of a good work. Good means something which is excellent. God calls you to do excellent things. Whatever you do, do it, do it excellent. You know, if you bake a cake, make it an excellent cake. Why not? Going to make something? Make it excellent. See? So good means literally to be excellent in anything. It means to be beautiful because of the purity of motive. Oh! To be beautiful because of the purity of the motive in it. Now, how many of you had someone do something for you and, you know, when they did it, you thought they were doing it for you and then after a while... Now the hook comes out, and now you're indebted to them. You have to do something back. Now that's not beautiful because of its purity of motive. That is not a good work. That's a manipulative thing. See, but good works are are works which have a purity of heart. You're doing it because of the overflow of God in your life. You're doing it because you love to do it. And it causes people to say, how come you're doing that? What's in it for you? Nothing. Just honor God. You know, I love the Lord. This is a great thing. I like doing this. I'm called to do this. You see, good work. It's excellent. It excels. And it's beautiful because it's got no hidden agendas. How beautiful are things which are done without a hidden agenda? How beautiful are those things? That's a good work. You could do things like that. You could do things that got no hidden agenda. You could show kindness to people without any agenda. You know what happens? It's a good work. You're called to do that. You're anointed to do that. You're anointed to do things without hidden agenda that are excellent, that are good works. You're called to do that. Man, you could think of heaps of things. How many could think of something they could do right now that would be a good work? Yeah, it'd be for someone. You could all think of something. Okay, here's all. It means this. It means, it means uh, a good work is something that confers honor and value on others. Whoa. It's, it's something that confers honor and value on others. So anytime you do anything which gives value to people or honors them or treats them like they're important, that's a good work. It might be just a simple thing of stopping to talk to someone. It might be taking the time out to help someone who's in distress. It can be very, very little. But you know, if it's done with no agenda, it's a beautiful thing. If it's done and it confers honor and the person feels blessed and encouraged, that's a good work. Boy, this is so easy, this stuff. Is this easy or what? Could you do stuff like that? Some people think serving the Lord's hard and hard at all. It's just doing beautiful, good works. Excellent things, no hidden agendas, making people feel they're of value. Now, you see, every day we walk past people who God values and we forget to even acknowledge them. How easy it is to stop and chat to them and talk with them and just make them feel that they're important or of value, listening to them. I sat down with some people last night and, and, and I endeavored each one that I sat to to actually just give value to them. One of the ways you give value to people is you take an interest in what they're interested in or what they're struggling in or what they're failing in or or what's important to them. And they go away. You know what? They go away. They feel valued. 
when you take time to just listen to people, talk with them, and just give a little bit of extra to them, they feel valued. That's a good work. Man, you're anointed for this. This is we're called for this. This is a lifestyle. This is not something we're going to do this week. This is a lifestyle. Eh? The, the word good means to be free from any hidden agenda. It means to bring advantage or help to someone who needs it, to bring help or advantage to someone who needs it. Now, you know something? There is an unbelievable joy when you do something that's excellent, that brings value to someone else. There's no hidden agenda, and you just want to help them and get them up and get them going. You know something? That is a good work. How many could do something like that? You could all do something like that. It's not hard. And the Bible says we're called, it's a lifestyle. We're called to do it. We're called to do it. You're getting all quiet. You think serving the Lord's really hard? Not hard at all, see? So God has purposed that your life will bring honor to him. He says, so let your light shine so that men may see your good works and honor God. Now, any person that you meet pretty well these days, when they come trying to do something, is usually a hidden agenda in it. How refreshing when no one's got a, when someone comes in and got a hidden agenda. What's in it for you? Oh, nothing in it for me. I just... I want to bless you. I want to do something because God called me to do this kind of thing. Think about that. So what are you called to do? What has God gifted you to do? What has God gifted you to do? It could be in building. could be in business. It could be... There's any kind of manner of areas. Never limit God working to someone standing preaching from a pulpit. That's only one way. Listen, I asked a whole heap of people why they came to our church because I wanted to know why they came to church. And you know what was the one thing no one mentioned? The preaching. <laughs> How about that? I felt good. <laughs> it's quite a wake-up call, isn't it, eh? See? So all of you think that being preacher is a good thing. See? So what, did they, what, what was it that drew them? What attracted them? It was actually you attracted them. <laughs> you attracted them because of life, because of kindness, because of friendliness, because of enthusiasm. I saw, I felt the life. I saw young people jumping. I saw people excited. I saw, I felt the life and the music. They wanted to come. So I know I felt the atmosphere. I liked it. I felt God here. See? It takes more than one person to bring God into a place. And not one mentioned preaching. So preaching didn't count. They don't even remember the preacher. They remember the guy on the door. There's a nice man down there smiled at me. Maybe I felt really welcome. What, did, what was preached that day? I don't know. <laughs> come on, it was you made them welcome. I come out that look, I've been out there. I've been coming to the door. There's someone on the there was someone out there in the yard. I can't even remember who it was. But you know what? He made me feel so welcome. I'm the pastor. I felt welcome. It was great. Come over to my door. I come over to my car. And made me feel very welcome. I felt so welcome. I thought, boy, no, I like being to this church. So, come on, and think about this. Think about it. It's the simple things that impact people. And it's the simple things. You are anointed by the Holy Ghost to do good. You're anointed for this. This is your life. This is a walk every day, a chance to do something. Okay? Every day. See? So we're not saved. It's just a lifestyle we're called to. We're called to do something great. We're called to be a participator in God's work, not a spectator. How about that? I'm going to give you a list of the differences between being a spectator and being a participator. And every one of us called to participate in advancing God's interests. You're his representative. You're called to advance his interests. Now, the th- here's an interesting thing. This is what God says. 
He, in, in Matthew 6.33, it says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, or seek to advance the interests of God first and to have a right life before God, and everything else that everyone else worries and stresses over will just actually be added into your life bit by bit. See, people stress out about all kinds of stuff. He said, but if you'll just put God's interest and advance His interest first, here's the promise. If you'll advance His interest first, He will see to it things are added into you. They're just added into you. They come added into you. How many can think when God's just added something, just happened? Someone gave you something, you got a blessing. You weren't even looking for it, it just happened. How many can think of at least one example when something like that just happened to you? Wonderful, isn't it? Heaps of examples. See, how did it happen? Because when you put God first... Then you position yourself. You're looking after his interests. He looks after yours. You say, well, he let me down a few times. No, 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 no. You just had a few growing experiences on the way. It only looked like you were let down, but it isn't let down because God is always faithful. I've had times I thought God let me down. Turns out he hadn't let me down at all. I'd done a few things that were lacking, and I had to learn. I had to learn some good experiences. And then I discovered I'm his workmanship, just like you are. So even the bad things work for good for us, don't they? So we've had a few bad things happen? Ah, move on, move on, learn from it. Don't waste the bad experience. It costs you heaps. How many have had a bad business investment and it costs you heaps? We've all had it. Thousands. Okay? It costs you a lot of money. You know, the one thing you want to do is you want to learn from it. I, I heard of a company where this guy made a, a serious mistake, cost the company about a million dollars. So he was called in to see the boss because he goes in thinking, oh, my job's all over. And uh, he just spoke to the boss. And uh, he said, I suppose you want me to hand in my resignation now? I said, resignation? You've cost us a million dollars to train you this far. We're not letting you go. That's a good, that's a smart thought, isn't it? We're not wasting our, t- our million dollars. See, because exp- how many, how many can, every one of us can identify that you had a painful experience or an expensive experience, but boy, you learned something from it. You've never made that mistake again. How many have learned that? See, everyone. See, see so God works even the bad things for good. So move on, move on. Whatever happened to you, just move on. Keep moving with God. It isn't over until you give up. Hey? Okay, I want you to see the difference between a spectator, one who looks on. I ask you, I'll ask you the question, what kind of person are you in relationship to the things of God? A spectator? Or a participator. Spectator is one who looks on as an observer of the activities. Look on as an observer of the activities, but a participator is one who shares and contributes to a common purpose. So a spectator sits and looks and observes. Has a lot to say, not much to do. But a participator, well, of course, they contribute. They share with others in a common purpose. Now, I want to give you several contrasts between a spectator and a participator. Now, think about this, and you'll realize this is where a lot of people live. Where do you live? That's the big thing. Where do you live? Okay, number one, spectator. Here it is. A spectator pays an entrance fee to watch. But a participator pays the price to win the game. Think about that. Are you just... Well, he come to church and pay him a tithe. That's it. I'm a spectator. Or do I roll up my sleeves and become involved passionately serving God? We're here to win. See souls touch, see God's interests advance, see the community change, young people reach, old people reach, whole generation of older people. Man, are we got our sleeves rolled? Are we in the game? Are you in the game or are you in the crowd? Up in the spectator. Come on, think about this. Which one are you? And it's a commitment. It's a decision to get involved. It's a decision to give up. Here's the second thing. A, a spectator sits in the crowd uninvolved. 
up there in the grandstand, sits in the crowd uninvolved, but a participator is down there running and fighting with the team. So which are you doing? Sitting? Spectating? Or down there with the team? Oh, it's a big difference to be down there with the team. A spectator looks and observes, but the participator connects and contributes. Participator connects and contributes. God wants us to connect one with another, to be involved in small groups, to connect and build relationships, and to contribute to other people going ahead. It's very easy just to put some money out, but it's another thing to share your life with another. It's another thing to invest in helping someone to be built up. Which are you, the spectator or the contributor, the participator? Here's another one. The spectator gets bored from sitting too long. You get bored from sitting around too long watching. Bored. My life isn't boring. Never boring. There's not a week goes by that's boring. There's always something coming up. Always something happening. Okay? But see, but the participator, see, spectators, he's bored from sitting around doing nothing, but the spectator's bruised from the conflict. Spectators bruised from the conflict. You better believe it. If you got into a hard game of rugby, you get some bruises the next day. You've got bruises the next day. You ever been out in a paintball competition? Man, you've got bruises the next day. You've got bruises. And hopefully they're not from your team. <laughs> Shot you in the back. <laughs> But you've got your bruise. In other words, there is a pain, there is a conflict, and there is hurt when you become involved. So you've got to decide whether you're going to be a participator and pay the price and experience some pain or whether you just become a spectator. And it's very easy to draw back and become a spectator. Once played in the team, now I'll sit back and I won't play in the team anymore. I'm just going to watch what others do. But listen, once you watch what others do, there's no reward for that. There's no, there's no glory for that. There's no reward in eternity for that, for being the spectator. It's the one who rolls up the stick, goes back again. So you broke your leg playing a game. Don't just stay in the stand. Get ready, get healed again. Let the day get healed and get back into the game again. Get back and get involved again. You know, I've known many people over the years and they got hurt in the game. I've been hurt heaps of times. In a rugby match, I come away and bruised and whatever. In ministry, oh, I come home bleeding on the inside. Many times. But you go back and you got a coach called the Holy Ghost. He says, you can do it. You're not quitting. Don't quit. I never heard the Holy Ghost say, oh, it's okay to quit. He never tells you to quit. He says, come on, I'm with you. You can get up again. Come on. See, that's why God said, I'll give you the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Holy Ghost will be with you. It'll be in you, guide you, teach you, coach you. Okay, here's another thing difference. See, the spectator is accountable to no one. Spectator, he's accountable to no one. Otherwise, he just comes and goes. There's nothing to be accountable about. You're not doing anything anyway. See? But a, but a participator, they've got a coach. Now, if you've ever played in a team, you'll know this. You've got the coach, and he's watching that game. He's down there watching the game. There he's looking at the game. He's watching all the play. And when that game's over, and you've got the out in the back room where no one's seeing, that coach is going to be going for you and talking to you about your game. How did you play? That's what the Holy Ghost does, see? And that's what we need people to do. You need people around you. You need someone at least that can look at how you're playing your game and running your race and say, listen, you can do better than that. Listen, you need to change. Listen, you could do this. Have you got anyone that tells you that? Or you just won't listen to anyone? Come on, we, what are we going to be? We be, be part of what God is doing? We're going to be the lone runner. We just sit there watching, eating popcorn and drinking Coke up on the stand, eh? See, here's the other thing a spectator does. Spectator criticizes the weaknesses of others. Spectator's got nothing better to do. They watch the game. Now you hear them. I've seen them on there. Oh, 
stupid, the yelling from the crowd. What a stupid move that was. Yelling at the ref and yelling at the players. Boy, I mean, in some matches, it was an embarrassment, even a school match. See, this poor kid's run up and down, and the father's up and down the sideline. He's yelling and abusing the kid, yelling and abusing the ref. Thought, Whoa! He needs to be put off in the penalty box, the sin man, you know. See? But you see, so the, part- so the spectator, well, he's got no one. He just criticizes the weakness of others. But the participator, he's looking how he can improve himself, improve his game. Are you looking to improve? What are you looking to improve? What area are you looking at? You could come up another level in your marriage, your finances, your attitudes, your, your walk with God, godliness on the inside. Well, what are you trying to improve? See, if you're in the game, you always want to improve. You can't settle for last year's game. This is a new game, another year. See, coming up. See, here's, a, here's another thing different. A, a spectator applauds the victories of others. Oh, oh well done. Oh, yes, our team did it. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you didn't play. You didn't do anything. You're just clapping. See? But you see, but the one who wears the victor's crown, the one who's got the trophy, the one who's up there, right at the top there, getting the gold medal, oh, that's the participator. I've never seen a spectator yet up there in the dais getting a gold medal. Have you? You don't get them for spectating. You get them for rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. Is it hard? Oh, yes, it is. When we have an outreach at the end of the year, you know, the, does the pressure come on? Oh, yes, it comes on. And I see a whole heap of people and they'll all line up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll help with the outreach. And then the pressure comes on. They carry them off on a stretcher. And were they injured? No, they just gave up. I'm tired. Coach, bring a stretcher. Take me off the field. I don't want to play anymore. It's got a bit of pressure. We can't do that kind of thing. We stick there for the game. Stick there for the hall. Then at the end of it, yes, we did it. We did it. And we get acknowledged as having won the victory. You know, there's a day of victory for every one of us individually. And we enter heaven, a day of reaping reward. The Bible tells us he comes and his reward is with him to give to every man according to his spectating. Come on. You know it doesn't say that. It, Jesus said, lo, I come and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. What he did to advance the cause of the king in Hastings and Napier and Hawke's Bay in the year 2006 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10. That's where the reward comes. And finally, the spectator moves on to his next entertainment. So you ever seen someone that watch a game? Then the, then the, then the hall, the, 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 the grandstand empties. And there's coke and chippy bottles and there's mess and rubbish and litter everywhere. And they just go off and they're looking for the next game to entertain them. But all oh, the spectator, they come off, the, the participator, they're thinking about the next challenge and how we can win it. The next challenge and how we can see someone saved. The next challenge and how someone's life can be reached for Christ. But there, that's the difference, spectating and participating. What are you going to be? What are you going to be? For you are his workmanship, created, designed for a lifestyle of accomplishing good things, excellent things, things with a pure motive, things done to advance the kingdom of God, things that will invest value in people. You're called to that. And anything less than that, you have missed your purpose in life. Anything less than that, you've fallen short and something's lacking and you've come up into the crowds and become a spectator. Let's not be like that. Let's say, God, I will be a participator in all you've called me to do. I will discover what I'm good at. I'll develop what I'm good at. And I won't allow setbacks to stop me pursuing what you call me to do. 
Father, we just thank you right now for the goodness, for the call of God in our life. Oh, it's great to be called by someone on the phone, but to have the Almighty call us. How wonderful is that? We thank you. You have called us to yourself. You have called us to grow and represent you. You've called us to accomplish something for you. Lord, we might have been overthrown and lost the last game, but oh, we're not out of the competition. No, Lord, we're just saying together, speak to us, coach us, help us, draw us, and Lord, we commit to going again, to sing another game one, to seeing people saved, to see lives changed, to have an influence in our community, to see policies changed in education and finance and, and medical and health and, and every area of our community. Lord, we're going out there to advance your kingdom. We're going out there because we're called to do this. And Lord, although we represent, Lord, maybe a company or a business or something in our heart and in everything we do, we reflect what you are like out of a heart that's grateful. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I wonder if there's any person here never ever came to a decision yet to receive Jesus, to give your life to Jesus Christ, become a Christian, become a believer. You ready to do that today? I want you to put your hand up. I want you to put your hand up. You're ready to do that today? You've just been thinking and pondering about the things of God. You realize an emptiness in your heart. That emptiness is sin. It's a vacuum created by sin. So it's a vacuum, a, dis a disconnection from God. All kinds of things can create it, but at the end, God can fill it. He's the only one can fill it. You're here tonight, today, with that emptiness. Why don't you say, Jesus, I, I need you to come into my life today. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to become a Christian. I, need, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I'm all ready. Would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Is there any person here while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed? Any person here not giving their life to Jesus? You raise your hand and say, that's me. I want, to, I want to become a Christian today. I want to become a Christian. Is there anyone here? anyone here say, Jesus, I need you today. I need you. I need you today. Is there anyone here? Put your hand up so I can see. A very important decision to receive Jesus Christ. When we become joined to him, we have a new start in life. We become a follower of someone instead of just following ourselves and following the crowd. We begin to follow the word and spirit of God. Our life begins to have value. He begins to make us into something. He prepares us to accomplish something meaningful with our life. That's you. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me today? I wonder perhaps for some people today, perhaps for whatever reasons, you're in the grandstand as a spectator. There's a lot of reasons for being there. But today you felt in your heart God saying, back in the team, back in the game. You don't know what all that means or how that may take place. But in your heart, you're saying, I will not be a spectator for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a participator in what God is doing. I will not allow anything to draw me back from what he called me to do. Not people, not opinions, not failures, not difficulties, not pressures. I will run the race God called me to run. If that's you, why don't you just quickly raise your hand and say, God's speaking to me that way. I need to acknowledge him. Just put your hand up if that's you. God bless. God bless. God bless. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you today that you called us to make a difference in Hawke's Bay. You called us to touch lives and people with the power of the Holy Ghost. Now we thank you, Lord, for an abundance of works flowing through our life 
to touch the people next to us, around us, behind us, and wherever we go during this week and the weeks ahead, Lord, let an abundance of living works flow out of our lives to touch people. In Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together? Just join together, finish with a song. Come on, let's just stand on our feet.